The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the third chapter. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been carried out in God. This is the Gospel of the Lord. In the holy name of Jesus. Amen. As you well know, life is full of bittersweet moments. Starting with moments like the last big game of the season, or to more striking moments like your child's wedding, or say a funeral that brings all of your family together. When we remember these occasions, whatever memento or token we carry forward into the future evokes then that same bittersweet feeling. And if the feeling is strong enough, then these become, say, the pictures that we put in albums and not on our walls because you can't experience that mixture of emotions all the time. Just some of the time when you're feeling sentimental or as you stumble across an album you haven't looked at in a while. For the people of Israel, the bronze serpent on that pole in the wilderness was a memento of a bittersweet moment. A moment far more bitter and far sweeter than any of the ordinary moments of life. It was at the same time a symbol of their massive failure, their tremendous shame as well as a symbol of, and the very means of, their rescue from the jaws of death. The bronze serpent lifted up on the pole was a reminder not just of this moment of their unfaithfulness, but of the many, many times they had complained just like this, suggesting that God brought them up out of Egypt to kill them in the wilderness. In fact, it just happened one chapter before our Old Testament lesson, Numbers 20, And now it has happened again, and they are failures once again, and they can't get it right, and they've brought this immense pain on themselves. And they've inflicted pain on the God who brought them out of slavery in Egypt. And they are full of regret. The bronze serpent is like every reminder of every sinful, stupid, and painful thing you've ever done. Like those photos on your friend's phone or that dent in your car, or your browser history, or the face of someone you've hurt badly. At the same time, the bronze serpent was a sight of sheer joy and relief for Israel. 
Like the moment you found out the cancer was in remission, or that the surgery was successful, or like waking up from a nightmare. And while you can still feel and see and hear what was happening, you realize that it was just a dream. This bronze serpent meant for Israel that once again they had another chance. That God really did want to save them and to be their God and Father and to lead them and guide them and give them his life. And that he was faithful, endlessly faithful. And that he would never, ever abandon them. All they had to do was to look at it and they would live. The sight of the bronze serpent was the sight of pure mercy and grace. And all of that, bitter and sweet, was embodied on that pole. But the story of Israel is the story of choosing to keep the bitter and do away with the sweet. And so we find out that after ages and ages in the time of King Hezekiah, 750 years later, the people of Israel had kept the bronze serpent. But instead of keeping it as a memento of that bittersweet moment, as something to prompt them to repentance and renewed trust in God, they had been offering sacrifices to it, like your average run-of-the-mill pagan idol. They had done away with everything sweet it had to offer, and in their hands it dissolved into pure bitterness. That is Israel's story, and it also plots the trajectory of this world. Any hope of sweetness dissolves in our hands into bitterness. In our gospel lesson, we learn that Jesus is like the bronze serpent. He's lifted up on the cross, and whoever believes in him, whoever looks at him with the eyes of faith, has eternal life. That's why a crucifix is central in our sanctuary. It really does require some explanation for anyone who's not used to seeing a pierced and bleeding body on a cross. It's central because it signals for us that crucial, bittersweet moment upon which all of history depends. It's that moment when our sin and our shame were fully exposed before the whole world in the naked and beaten and dying body of Jesus. And it is also that moment which was the very means of our rescue from the jaws of death, when our sin and our shame were completely eradicated in Jesus. There is no more bitter and no sweeter moment than the crucifixion. Now, you may not see all of that when you look at the crucifix, sometimes simply because it's so familiar, but I think it's often because we look past it. It's difficult to take it all in, and here's why. John says that Jesus is a light who has come into the world, a light shining in a world of utter darkness, pitch black. But unlike at the break of dawn, which we welcome because it ends the gloom of night, we are tempted to shy away from the light of Christ, to draw back from his crucified body, because he doesn't just illuminate the darkness, he also shines his light on you, revealing who you are. 
And it is hard to believe that when every last bit of you is uncovered, when all of your secret sins and your shameful thoughts are brought to light, that then God will be for you and not against you. It's like how we have to teach our kids to trust firemen. Because the instinct of every child, if ever caught in a smoke-filled room, terrified and alone, will be to hide from the big creature with a flashlight and an axe and a gas mask. It's hard to believe that such a grotesque sight, that such a scary figure is there to rescue you. But of course he is. And so is Jesus, who did not come into the world to condemn the world to bring you under judgment for your sin and your shame, but in order to save the world, to take away your sin and your shame once for all. And that is why we hold this bittersweet moment of the crucifixion constantly before our eyes. And that is why, even as our sin and our shame are exposed by his light, we draw nearer and nearer to it. Because this is how he saves us. And unlike the trajectory of this world in which everything sweet eventually dissolves into bitterness, our crucified and risen Savior is drawing us to himself, drawing us home, where one day there will be only sweetness and nothing bitter. He shines his light on us now in this life so that we become accustomed to it. And just as the days lengthen during this season of Lent, he is slowly but surely taking us from this valley of shadows and death toward a resurrection day on which all bitterness will be gone. No more tears, no more regret, because every sorrow has been laid to waste in his crucified body. Think about these things when you look at the cross of Jesus. See in his suffering your sin and your shame, every last bit of it, hide none of it, for he means to take it away from you forever. Let his light shine on you even when it pains you, and then, most of all, see in his agony and death God's boundless mercy and love for you, which will stop at nothing to give you his life and to make you fit to dwell in his light forever. In the holy name of Jesus, amen.